0: Hey, what's going on, everyone? Thank you again for tuning in to another fun and exciting episode of the Camcast. Uh, this is Cam here. We got another episode coming for you, in just a little bit. Um just want to th- say uh, thank you for everyone that's been paying uh, you know attention to the channel, paying attention to what I've been doing, uh, some of the video or the, the podcast I've been having going on about sports. More recently it's been mostly about the NBA playoffs, and you know I've been talking a little bit about you know Bozeman, we talked about Kobe Bryant. Talked about We had three, I think, three straight NBA playoffs videos in a row. And then before that was the Incredible Hulk. So the plan for today is to get back on the Marvel movie talk. So we're going to go ahead and do number three in terms of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And that is the movie Iron Man 2. So we're going to do the Iron Man 2 podcast today. um And, you know, just as I said a little bit earlier, I, I want to thank everybody that's been you know, supporting the channel, you know, getting involved in some of the things that we have going on on Instagram, uh, definitely DMing me, you know, giving me all types of, all types of feedback, positive and negative, you know, I'll take it all. Um, just having a really fun time doing all this still. And, you know, please, if you guys can get the word out the best you can, uh, go ahead and, uh, like, and subscribe to the podcast, go ahead and, uh, you know, comment on Instagram. And I can yeah. Come on Instagram, but what's also really important, apparently, for the algorithm is for you guys to rate the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Apparently, that's a really good way for the word to get out. And I don't know if if I could have um, five rates, uh, five new reviews in the Apple Podcast, we, there might be something special. If I five new reviews in the Apple Podcast by the end of this week there i will do a special uh free giveaway for 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 those of you that were able to do that um so that's just another way that we can kind of interact and get get going with each other but i i I definitely appreciate all the love i've been getting so far um you know it's been a lot of fun pretty soon i'm gonna be have a a angels uh, off-season uh podcast so i'll hopefully be having that with one of my friends um and then if the lakers win the title we'll have a lakers title podcast And of course, I'm going to get going with the rest of my Marvel Cinematic Universe uh, podcast. And I don't know if you heard the news or not, but Black Widow, the next Marvel movie that was supposed to come out, has actually been pushed back to May. And I know originally when I started this Marvel series, I said that I would try to get all the episodes done before Black Widow came out in November. But now I have a lot more time. So it's a little bit less strenuous on me, and I can get more of the. I can get these out, but I can also get a lot more other podcasts out there at the same time. So you for sure will have all the podcasts done by the time Black Widow comes out. That is that is a promise. I have what like six months to be able to do that. It's gonna get done. So that that's something that I'm looking forward to. And then along those lines, I'll probably have. I'm gonna try to have a couple members do the the Avengers podcast whenever I do that, and then obviously Endgame and the Infinity War podcast as well. But all right guys, it's time to get out of the episode. Let's do it. All right guys, like the intro said, we're going to be talking about Iron Man 2 today. I want to thank everyone again for uh, listening in and we're going to, this is number 3 of my Marvel Cinematic Universe series. And this happens to already be the second Iron Man movie, and there's only three of these, so it's kind of interesting. This movie came out in 2010. Um, in 2010, when this came out, I was uh, I was in j- a junior in high school, and it was getting towards the end of that school year. Um, it came out uh, April 26th and May May 7th. You know, commercially, but April 26th it was debuted. Um, I remember I was really really hyped for this movie when it came out because. Um, the first Iron Man was, you know, it was pretty groundbreaking. It did a lot that you didn't really expect it to do. And then, you know, you were you kind of had this, this thought that maybe that this movie would build onto maybe something a little bit more. And you might get more Iron Mans. You might, you know, see more movies like that. Maybe see The Incredible Hulk at some point. I mean, there really was no main idea for the fans as to what we could expect at that point. So we're all just kind of just excited for another Robert Downey Jr. led Iron Man movie. And at that point, that's that's really all it was. Let me go ahead and give credit to everyone behind the scenes and on the uh, on the uh, the cameras first and foremost. Uh, this is the last movie that John Favreau was able to direct within the MCU, and we'll get into that later why that is. Uh, this movie again stars Robert Downey Jr. as Tony Stark. It stars Gwyneth Paltrow as Pepper Potts. It stars uh, stars Don Cheadle. As James Roddy Rhodes, aka War Machine. This is where Iron Man 2 differs from Iron Man 1 is Terrence Howard. Obviously, if you listen to my first podcast, you know that Terrence Howard was James Rhodes in the first one. Then there was a disagreement, which led to Don Cheeto becoming the War Machine. And, you know, I think that it was a really welcomed addition to the cast. John Cheeto is just, you know, he's top notch. Don Cheeto's really, really good. He's a great actor. Um, he's you know classically trained actor he's done all kinds of different roles and the fact that they have him in the mcu is is honestly fantastic because in my opinion he's just really underrated Uh, we have the introduction of the black widow herself scarlett johansson in probably one of my favorite roles that she's ever been in i mean i was like 16 years old when this movie came out i think everyone that was my age had the hugest crush on scarlett johansson when this movie came out it was like a really big deal like she was just you know just really badass on the screen when she has that scene later on in the movie Um, We have uh, Sam Rockwell as Justin Hammer. Justin Hammer, excuse me. And, okay, I don't know if there are a lot of Sam Rockwell fans out there. I'm a huge Sam Rockwell fan. Sam Rockwell is probably one of the most underrated actors of this generation and of this time. He is able to fully immerse himself in almost every single role he's ever been in. And you know what I'm talking about. If you've seen movies like Three Billboards Outside of Ebbing, Missouri. If you've seen movies like uh, The Way Way Back. He's just phenomenal. And in this movie with minimal screen time, minimal character arc, you really understand where he's coming from and what he, what he is. And it's really a shame that we haven't seen more of him in the MCU. I mean, re-watching this movie, I was like, man, Sam Rockwell just pops off the screen in every single scene that he's in. It's fantastic. Uh, and then we have the... I, I actually consider Sam Rockwell the main villain of this movie. He's kind of the genius behind all of it. The movie doesn't get into motion without him. But the, I guess, the de facto villain is played by Mickey Rourke and obviously he plays Ivan Vanko or Whiplash and to me it's the weakest part of the movie but we'll talk about that later on so back into it um, Iron Man 2 is kind of I've seen it maybe I want to say close to eight times total eight to ten times total it's definitely not my favorite MCU movie Um, I actually have a list of my my rankings for the MCU and I know it's near the bottom. If I had to say, I'd, I'd say it's probably 20 out of 23. So it's just not one of my favorites. You know, It's it's watchable, and when you re-watch it, there are a lot more things that you pick up on. But for sure, it, there there are just a lot of inconsistencies in the plot and a lot of ex machinas that kind of pop up that make things a lot easier for everybody else. Um, but again, I'll, I'll talk more on that as we go on. Um, I guess my problem overall with the movie is just the pacing. It feels like in this movie, there are five different plots that are being explored all at once i mean we have the first plot of you know tony's iron man and he has to you know explain to the government why he doesn't want to give the government his technology to be able to uh, produce more iron man suits and then with that you have a revenge tale for Ivan Vanko, who wants to get revenge on Tony Stark because of what his dad did to because of what Tony Stark's did, dad did to Ivan Vanko's dad years and years ago. So there's a revenge tale there. Then there's another revenge tale of Sam Rockwell, who is his so his company is Hammer Tech. Basically, he's a competitor to Stark Industries, where he makes weapons. So that's kind of a revenge tale too. His objective is to basically make his own version of the Iron Man suits and mass market them and sell them to the government. So that's his deal. And then at the same time, you have internal struggles that Tony's going through because he is dying. The suit that he made in Iron Man One, you know the way he's able to make those electromagnets uh, from keeping that shrapnel out of his heart, it's making his blood toxic. So he's slowly dying and he has to keep regenerating his uh, his, uh, his life force. Pretty frequently within the movie, and you realize early on that he's in pretty bad shape when he has this like, this uh, this webbed vein collection that sprouts up on his neck and a lot of his like on his chest. It's pretty messed up. But then on top, I mean, there's there's and then there's the plot of advancing the MCU. You know, you have Scarlet Witch, Scarlet Witch. You have Black Widow. You have Colson makes his return, and you have Nick Fury intervening with uh, with Tony Stark, telling him about Tony Stark's dad and how he was one of the founding members of Shield. You have Black Widow being a plot device, basically. She doesn't really necessarily need to be in the movie. She's in there to be like, hey, this is the MCU. This is a character that you guys are familiar with. If you read the comics, she's here. She exists, you know, along with Nick Fury. She's she's here in this world. So, I mean, it's kind of obvious that there was a lot of input from the Marvel bigwigs as to how this was going to go. I mean, there just was, and you know, it's it kind of sucks because you want a director and a production crew to be able to, I guess, create the story that they want to create. So my guess is they would have gone, they would have gotten rid of all the shield plot, they would have gotten rid of um, a lot of the in, not, not a lot of the internal struggles, but some of them, and they would have expanded on the the Sam Rockwell role and the Mickey Rourke role, and it, it probably would have been a more cohesive movie. But for what it is, I think it's okay. I think that in order for the MCU to be as good as it is, you have to have some movies that are just for driving the narrative, right? I know there are a lot of movies like that. Like, this one is for sure one. This is the first one that was really driving home the narrative. Then I think uh, Thor The Dark World drives home the narrative. Uh, Avengers Age of Ultron really drives home the narrative. Ant-Man and the Wasp drives home the narrative. I mean, there are some movies that aren't really concerned with the the movie themselves, what they are is they're a bridge from one storyline of the Marvel Cinematic Universe as a whole to the next storyline of the Marvel Cinematic Universe as a whole. So in that part, I mean, it's... And that's almost more difficult. You know, these... Kevin Feige and all these geniuses up in Marvel are able to craft these long... You know, these long stories that span across many different franchises, many different... um, Uh, you know, people, many different production crews, different actors, different everything. And they've been able to do it beautifully. And it's not an easy feat. You know, this isn't something that has ever been done before. And the fact that they were able to set the blueprint in this movie really says a lot. I mean, it's it's not easy. You know, it's it's something that we kind of we kind of take for granted now because, you know, we are 23 movies deep in this MCU. But it's something that even, you know, watching Iron Man 2 again last week, I respect it. And I understand what happened. Um, Granted, there were a lot of people, or not a lot of people, but Jon Favreau in particular, he hated the fact that Marvel was so, I guess, at his throat about what they wanted to do. It kind of ruined his view of the movie. And this is why this is his last directorial movie in the MCU. Uh, I believe Iron Man 3 was directed by Shane Black, who also directed a couple of them. He directed Kiss, Kiss Bang Bang, which was Robert Downey Jr. and Val Kilmer. And he directed the movie with uh, Russell Crowe and Ryan Gosling. I think it's—I can't think of the name right now—but it's a really—it's that 1960s crime movie. Um, I can't think of it, but it's, it, it'll come back to me at some point. But yeah, I mean, if you're gonna—if you're gonna work for Marvel and you're gonna work within this MCU, you have to follow the plan. Okay, you can make a great movie. You can put your some of your own ideas and flashes into it, but overall, you're making a movie for the collective. You're not making a standalone film. And, and people just have to be okay with that. Another example of, of that just going completely wrong was when Ant-Man was originally being created. Edgar Wright, who's an amazing director, you know, he directed all those Shaun of the Dead and he directed uh, Baby Driver. He's just great, right? He wrote Ant-Man. He, was, he originally wrote the script for Ant-Man. He was trying to get it pu- uh, taken to screen for years. Um, when the production crew and Ant-Man were starting to get together, you know, for Marvel... He figured out he didn't want to be a part of this because Marvel, since they own the character Ant-Man, they can basically do whatever they want with it. And because of that, Ant-Man was without Edgar Wright. He was still credited as being a producer because he did uh, fund a lot of the project and he had a lot of the ideas for it. But the overall movie that became Ant-Man was not what Edgar Wright had originally thought of. And you know, he had and he backed out, and that's okay. I'm completely okay with that. My whole thing is I want a cohesive MCU where all these movies can exist under this universe. And we have these amazing stories and all these great actors and great stories that are, you know. I mean, there's never really been another franchise where events in one movie movie affect events in another movie that are 10 or 11 movies down the line. I mean, that's unprecedented. That doesn't happen. Especially, you know. Considering, I mean, this is loosely adapted by by books, you know, obviously comic books. But for the most part, I mean, these these are stories that they're kind of taking from the comic books directly and indirectly and infusing them in their own special way to create a cohesive story that the audience is able to enjoy and that, you know, hardcore comic book fans are able to completely immerse themselves in. So it's a little bit of both. You have to appeal to both markets. You have to appeal to the common fan and you have to appeal to the fanboy. And I think that Marvel has done about as good of a job as they can with that. And it all started with Iron Man 2 where they were like they where they were willing to make the really tough decisions in order to um to advance the narrative that they wanted to put out there. And I don't think that you can argue with their results. You can argue with some of the movies not being that great. I mean, this this is the first stinker to me. I think this movie's worse than The Incredible Hulk upon uh, viewing. There are some good themes in here, right? There's some. You see Tony Stark at one of his lowest points, so that's always good to see because he's such a tragic hero and he has such a tragic past. You see a little bit of that. This is not the worst Marvel movie by far, and that's Thor The Dark World, and I'm actually really not looking forward to uh, Getting to that one, but we're gonna have to at some point. But now this. This is this is a fine movie. I'd say it's tier C. You know, there's I think Thor: of The Dark World is the only one that's like tier D. It's not a failure, because it does things that advance the plot of the MCU. But this movie, it does it introduces a couple important characters. It brings Don Cheadle. It brings Scarlett Johansson, and it further you you understand more who Tony Stark is, and I think that's really cool. Um, to Better be able to get in deep with this movie. I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to jump into the categories, guys. All right, let's do this. All right, so if you're new to the podcast and you haven't listened to any of my movie reviews before, so what we do on the podcast is I talk a little bit about what the movie means to me and some of the in-depth things in the first half of the pod. The second half, I do my breakdown, right? I got seven categories and I give awards for each category that I think deserve it for uh, for each movie. And I'll show you the categories as we go along. But for those of you that have already been listening, I've been wasting your time. So let's go ahead and get going. So for the first category is best scene. And I mean, there's not a lot of best scenes in here, so I'm really scraping the barrel here. But I have a couple. I have Tony at the Monaco Grand Prix when he has to when he's racing the cars in the Grand Prix and he winds up facing Whiplash for the first time. It's a great scene. Um, you know, he Whiplash looks pretty cool. I mean, he, it's. The suit up scene when he has the suit in the in the the briefcase that looks really cool. Um, Other than that, I mean it's it's kind of a basic scene. I mean there are way more better action scenes in Iron Man one, but I mean that was it was fun. It was the first action we got in the movie, so that was cool. Um, The second scene I have is when Rhodey takes War Machine and him and Tony fight in Tony's house party. Uh, when Tony's just drunk and he's just you know he's in bad shape he's he, it's the one time in the MCU where you see Tony literally at his lowest point I mean he's he feels like he's gonna die he has no idea what he's going to do and when they fight it's pretty it's it's interesting you know it's it's the first time you see those two it's the first time you see Rhodey in the the War Machine uh, outfit or I guess not outfit it's not a fucking outfit the suit so it's kind of cool seeing basically two Iron Man's fight against each other but not trying to kill each other they're just trying to you know make the other one just quit. So I don't know. It's, it's kind of interesting. Um, the next best scene is when Tony discovers a new element. He basically saves his own life. Um, that scene, there's, there's nothing actiony about it, but if you've listened to previous podcasts of mine, you know that there's something that I really enjoy about people reaching their potential. And I feel like in this scene, we see a vintage Tony Stark. We see him tinkering. We see him kind of building upon the things that his father left behind and you know when they when they show that 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 video that Tony's watching of his dad and his dad says, you know I'm leaving you some stuff. Basically like, my time doesn't have the right technology for it, but you're gonna do great things. And you know my my greatest creation was you. It's 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 a really important scene for Tony going forward. It. it He talks about it throughout the MCU that his dad was really cold. His dad was very calculating. His dad didn't really seem to love him, and this is one of the few times that we see that his dad really did care. His dad loved him, and because basically, from his from him knowing that his dad believes in him, he was able to take the information that he already had and made a new element and save his own life. Basically, you know, it's I don't know. It's it. I really enjoyed that scene. It's it's one of the best you know, character development scenes in in the MCU, even though it's just for a short amount of time. I, I really enjoy it. I think it's underrated. Um, next best scene is when black widow takes out all those goons at hammer tech industries. Um, if you haven't seen the scene, uh, I, I know you have, it's, it's Scarlett Johansson. She's just running around in like a leather suit, just beating up a whole bunch of people. And it's just, it's fantastic. <laughs> I mean, you know, I've, I, I think I was 16 when that part came out or 17 when that came out. And I was like, yeah, that's that's some good stuff. I really enjoy that. Uh, <laughs> if you know what I'm talking about, you know what I'm talking about. But this this was a scene I was like, yeah, I think I like Scarlett Johansson. That's I think that's all good to me. I'm I'm a big fan. You know, two thumbs up. Um, and then the final scene for best scene is when Tony and Rhodey fight all the Hammer Tech Iron Man suits and they fight Whiplash. Um, it's it's okay. It's honestly for a final clim- uh, an end climactic fight scene. It's all right. There are a lot of issues with it. It's paced really weird. It's it's really fast. And then when Rhodey's suit is under his control again, when Nat is able to unhack his suit, you know, Rhodey and and, uh, and Tony, they talk a little bit and they realize that they're in this bubble and all of a sudden all these Hammer Tech drones kind of come out of nowhere and they surround them. And then all we get is we get 30 seconds of them just completely annihilating these drones. I mean, it was really cool, but it was so fast, you know? And then the way that they kill Whiplash is the way that they fought each other earlier on. I don't know, it was just, just a little too on the nose for me, but I mean, it's it's the climactic scene, so I feel like you have to have it in there. For me, the best scene in the movie is when is for sure when Tony discovers that element. I mean, him seeing the video of his dad give him praise gave him so much more motivation to be able to move forward and just be the best stark that he can possibly be. And for me that that is if this if this movie doesn't have that scene or anything similar to that with that type of important character development, it's it's not a good movie, it's a failure. And that's how I know that that was something that Marvel for sure put in there and Jon Favreau probably didn't have in the original cut kind of the film. So that's my that's my best scene. We have a change to the categories, ladies and gentlemen. We have a change. I didn't like the second category originally. It was too wordy. So now I have this is called the muy mal award. For those who don't speak Spanish, it's a very bad award. <laughs> it's just muy mal. I mean, it's just something that I kind of say for fun every once in a while. It's just muy mal. Um The muy mal award, if you haven't been listening, goes to Mickey Rourke. Everything that Mickey Rourke does in this movie is just bad. I don't know what he was doing. Um, it's he his Russian accent is horrible. He's dealing with a bird. He, he really wants this bird. He has gold teeth. It's th- the choices that he made with the tattoos. I, I didn't know any of this, and I wound up looking it up, so I'm going to read you a quick fact right now, some half-assed internet research. Uh, here, here's something from, uh, it says, from Kick-Ass Facts. Not being tech literate, Mickey Rourke found the most challenging part about playing Whiplash was pretending to know his way around a computer. <sighs> <laughs> I mean, are we serious? I, this, none of that makes sense. I mean, this guy's supposed to be a tech genius, and you have him in front of a computer. And I always thought that the way that he typed on the keyboard just looked wrong. It just looked off. You know, there's just nothing natural about how it looked. His accent is weird. You don't believe any of his backstory. It's just none of it. I don't like any of it. His his performance, is it's rough. And in more more research, it says that he's the one who wanted the tattoos on that character it was his idea for the design of the character and i just can't believe that marvel let him kind of get away with that it was probably more john favreau but um i just everything that mickey Rourke is doing in this movie is just bad i don't like any of it it's rough and i just if he were out of the movie it'd be a better movie if they can replace him with somebody else then i think it'd be a better movie but yeah the muy Mall award for sure goes to mickey rourke for the third category we have the stole the show award. And this is the award that goes to not the main character of the movie but you know somebody that's not in it a ton that every time they're on screen it's like your eyes are all on them, right? It's they're just they're completely captivating on screen. So we have two nominees for this one. One the aforementioned Scarlett Johansson as Black Widow. I mean, that scene is just unreal where she's, you know, just beating all these guys up, strangling one guy. Just she's completely in action. It's it's just unbelievable, right? She's whenever she's on screen in this movie, you kind of forget that there's anybody else in this movie. It I mean that's that's true. That's just that's we're rewatching it and this being a ten-year-old movie, I was like, dang. Okay, I that's that's Black Widow. You know, it's I don't know, it's for me, she's amazing in this role, but particularly in this movie, this is her best. The second nominee for this award, and I think it's well deserved. Is Sam Rockwell as Justin Amber. Like I said earlier, Sam Rockwell is an amazing actor. I don't think he gets enough praise from everybody just because he's not—he's not super. You know, he doesn't have those movie star good looks. What he has is he's an amazing character actor, and he always has been. I think he's been getting a little bit more notoriety the last five years, but he's just—he's phenomenal. And literally every time he's on the screen, it's just—you don't know—you don't—you ex- don't know what to expect from him he's he's completely captivating. You know, from when he when you first see him on Capitol Hill and he's talking and he and, and Iron Man shows uh his company final, you know, trying to test their own Iron Man suits and they're a joke. You know, you see his reaction trying to unplug the TV and that's funny. And then, you know, a great scene of his is when he's doing that that weapons uh, what's it? He's showing off all those new weapons that could be added to the war machine to Rhodey and it's just the way he explains every single one and I don't know, these little digs that he has with Mike with uh with Mickey Rourke's character when he talks about um, you know, the bird, I got you the bird, where my suits, you know, a guy's gotta fit in there, you know. I don't know. It's every I just wish that we could have had more Sam Rockwell in the MCU. I mean, in this movie he didn't get killed, they just took him to prison, but nothing happened after that. So it's kinda like, you know, what what could have been are they saving him? It's been noted that he would want to you know, he would love to be able to reprise his role as Justin He just haven't yet. So for me, Justin Hammer wins the stole the show award. He's just—he's so amazing in this, in such a small capacity in this movie. I don't think there are many other people that would be able to pull this off and make you want to see more of him, given so, so, so little. I think that's right, so little. So number four, we have the recasting couch, and I hate giving the Mui Mall award and the recasting couch to the same individual but it happens quite a bit and there's a reason for that I mean if you're bad I'm gonna try to get you out of this movie everyone else in this movie needs to be there I mean Don Cheadle needs to be there Pepper Potts needs to be there which is Gwyneth Paltrow Scarlett Johansson needs to be there Nick Fury all those people have to be there Mickey Rourke doesn't need to be there and I think that it would have been really really interesting if they cast if they're if they really wanted to go the Russian route if they really wanted to make this character Russian they should have given the role to John Malkovich and just seen what it was. I think I believe John Malkovich is being a genius way more than I believe Mickey Rourke being a computer genius. And then John Malkovich has the chops for the Russian accent. and we've, we've seen it a million times. We've seen it in Rounders. seen it in a bunch of other things. I don't know if maybe I'm just a little too excited about John Malkovich right now because I saw being John Malkovich for the first time a couple months ago. And I just can't believe how funny that movie was. But I think that it would be really, really interesting to see John Malkovich in this type of a role. I think that he would really ham it up, and he would try really, really hard to be able to match Robert Downey Jr. on screen. I think that that would have been interesting. Would it have been good? I don't know. But I want to see it. You know, I just I want to use my eyes. I want to see it. I want to see what that is because I, I, to me, it's it's interesting. The possibilities with that could be really, really, really fascinating. All right, category five. I'm going to talk about. Uh, some of the interesting facts from, from the production. There's a bunch on here, but I kind of pulled out some of the more interesting ones. So one of the facts is, and I'm going to read these straight from from uh, from a site that I found. It's called KickAssFacts.com Samuel Jackson was promised that Nick Fury would be given more screen time by director Jon Favreau. Jackson almost didn't return to play Fury due to problems with contract negotiations, but secured a landmark nine-picture deal to play Nick Fury, not only in this film, but in forthcoming Marvel Studio Productions. So... It's kind of interesting, like how I said earlier that Jon Favreau and Marvel had issues with the script. It seems like maybe Jon Favreau wanted more more shield in here, but maybe Marvel. I don't know. It's that that part's kind of confusing. I don't know how If Jon Favreau was having issues with Marvel intervening. Then why did he tell Samuel L. Jackson he was going to have so much screen time? It's that part's kind of interesting to me. So I was kind of I was curious. The next interesting fact, and this is kind of what I've been echoing, but these are these are facts. Jon Favreau had a lot of friction with the Marvel higher-ups due to their constant intervention to the point that they were having him rewrite the script as the film was still shooting. In particular, elements such as the increased prominence of the S.H.I.E.L.D. subplot were the result of a need to establish the greater cinematic, Marvel Cinematic Universe in preparation for the Avengers movie. So like I said earlier, guys, Marvel got their fingers in here, and they said, okay, we need more S.H.I.E.L.D., we need to utilize more uh, uh, Phil Coulson, and there, I'll talk about Phil Coulson on a, on a different video or a different podcast, because there there's a link in Phil, for Phil Coulson between Iron Man 2, Thor, and Captain America, the first Avenger, and it's very interesting. It's, it's all in the span of seven days, these movies, and I'll explain that as we go, but it's I'm glad that this happened. I, it sucks that Jon Favreau had to be caught in the middle of this type of thing, and he's the one that base—he's the father of the MCU. You know, besides Kevin Feige, Jon Favreau and Robert Downey Jr. got this ship going. They're the ones who started this thing, and they—they—they've done a great job. They really have. So it's kind of—it's sad that this happened to him, but I'm glad that the executives at Marvel were able to put personal feelings aside and say, "Hey, this is what's best for the films." This is what's best for the universe going forward and this is this is the way we're going to do it you know you, you got to respect that so it's kind of it sucks for john but it's good for for all the fans so I'm, I'm cool with that and then obviously the big one was that terrence howard was replaced by don cheadle and no one's really sure why this is there you know people have said that uh robert Denny jr is the one who didn't like working with terrence howard but then i found something else that john favreau also didn't like working with terrence howard so it's kind of he must have just been a pain in the ass to work with and because of that they got an amazing actor in John Cheadle. and I mean there's there's nothing there's nothing wrong with that. John is amazing, you know. So those those are some of the interesting facts that I that was able to find for you guys. The next category is nitpicks. And you know, this movie besides some of the nitpicks that I've already gone over with the multitude of plots um some and then Mickey Rourke some these these are more minor nitpicks, right? One of my nitpicks is why didn't tony just tell pepper that he was dying i mean they have that whole scene where he basically gives the company over to her makes her ceo and she's kind of it just accepts it without really asking any questions at all as to why he's giving it to her but it was a contingency plan just in case he dies i just if they were so close and they seem to be why couldn't he just say that he was having a difficult time i mean he said that in the past and it, my understanding is that at that at that present moment Pepper would have done anything and listened to Tony and, and helped him in any way that she possibly could. But I don't know. It was kind of a kind of a weird thing. I guess, and then another nitpick is, I'm just curious what a John Favreau movie would have looked like, or what a John Favreau Iron Man trilogy would have looked like. It could have been amazing. It definitely wouldn't have been true to the MCU, and it would have been its own thing. Kind of like how Iron Man, that's what was so cool about Iron Man. Iron Man was its own thing. It, they didn't know what was gonna happen. They didn't know there was gonna be an MCU. They set you know a little Easter egg here and there, but it's Iron Man's its own standalone story. You can watch Iron Man you don't have to watch the rest of the MCU. I don't advise it, cause the rest of it's amazing, but you can do that and you'd be completely fine. So I, I think that an Iron Man trilogy could have been amazing. You know, like a standalone trilogy where it's just one director, and it's and the series is just depending on three movies in total it could have been amazing um is it as amazing in the mcu it, is it as amazing as the mcu no there's no way in hell <laughs> i mean it's just there's there's no way i mean we got three iron man movies and then we got every avengers movie had iron man we had captain america civil war that had iron man so yeah we've we've had a lot and spider-man spider-man homecoming had iron man so i don't i don't think that nothing, i don't think anything was done wrong there i don't i don't feel bad about that decision at all all right my my last Why hasn't Sam Rockwell come back? I mean, okay, could you imagine how much fun it would have to have, how much fun it would be to have him in the MCU? Maybe align with uh, a Daniel Bruhl's character. Maybe align with another villain. You know, I don't, man. I feel like there have been missed opportunities where you can put Justin Hammer into the MCU, have him combat with another uh, Marvel hero. And just because he's so smart and he's so captivating on screen, he's such a weird personality. He kind of reminds you of a little bit of like a like an evil genius, genius Riddler type character where you don't really entirely know what he's doing at all times, but he's always up to and conniving something. I just wish that there were more opportunities to get him into the MCU. And, we, you know, maybe he will in the future. I mean, who knows? And the final category is who won the movie. This is typically where I'm going to pick a individual or person who won the movie and that's what I've done before. I've always picked a person that has won this movie. However, this movie, because of of everything that goes on with it, because it was the first movie that really kind of got the MCU going, had a lot of the Easter eggs, the Marvel Cinematic Universe as a whole and Kevin Feige won this movie. That's, that's just what it is. This movie set up a lot of things through Easter eggs and through plot devices and through the different characters that they added that kind of set the tone for the MCU going forward. I mean, they established a sidekick for Iron Man in in, uh, in Don Cheadle's War Machine. They established one of the core members of the Avengers in Black Widow. They established Nick Fury as the the main person of S.H.I.E.L.D. They established Clark Gregg's character, Phil Coulson, as a, uh, an important member of S.H.I.E.L.D. They established Iron Man as being possibly the most important within the Avengers at some point. Um, and then, of course, there are all these Easter eggs. I mean, when when Tony's tinkering in his in his lab, Coulson goes down there and he's like, "Hey, what's this?" And then Tony's like, "Oh, oh, I got it. That's it." And he grabs it, and it's Captain America's prototype shield. I mean, they really thought of all these little nit, you know, tidbits to throw in this movie to make sure that people knew that there were more. There was more to come. And I think one, and then there was that that map that showed up at the end of this movie that pinpoints certain locations on the map of the world where certain events are. I mean, they pinpointed Wakanda, they pinpointed the the ice where where Captain America was found. They pinpointed, uh, I believe, Norway where uh, the, you know the Asgardians uh, dwell. Sometimes they pinpointed Harlem where the Incredible Hulk was. So it's that's a huge Easter egg. But I think the coolest Easter egg that came out. Was actually confirmed, I believe, no less than two years ago, in Iron Man 2. In that final scene, when there's that kid with the Iron Man mask that begins to try to fight one of those drones, and uh, Tony Stark winds up killing the drone, saving the kid. It turns out that that kid was Peter Parker. So it's just one of those things where Tony Stark's always had his, his you know, his, he's always had Peter Parker's back, even before Peter had any type of powers. And I'm looking forward to doing that podcast at some time. You know, if, if you don't know about me, Spider-Man's my favorite hero. Always has been, always will be. So that's kind of a big deal. But yeah, the Marvel Cinematic Universe for sure won this movie. And they did it by basically hamstringing a director. But they did it for the collective. And they did it for the fans. And they did it for a great reason. And I completely support everything that they've done so far. Because n- n- no one's ever done this before. I mean, no one's ever constructed 23 movies to fill one narrative and have a story be told across that many it just doesn't happen it's amazing i mean there are stories and chapters basically the movies are chapters of books of a, of a book right they're they're chapters you know iron man is chapter one incredible hulk's chapter two depending on how you look at it i mean some people watch it in chronological order by release date some people watch it in chronological order by time period within Real time, based on the MCU, if that made sense, probably didn't, because I, I got kind of got confused by it too. I watched it in order of, of when it was released because of how things, how the Easter eggs pop up and stuff like that. So, it's it's crazy that they were able to do this. I just I don't know. It's I I'm a huge, obviously Marvel fanboy, so I get kind of excited about this stuff. But I hope you guys too I hope you guys do too. I'm looking forward to doing the next one. Well, guys, that's all I have for my Iron Man Two podcast. Um, I hope you guys enjoyed listening in. Uh, I, if if you guys can all do me a huge favor, like, subscribe and share the podcast on whatever platform you listen to. I know we are on Spotify. We're on uh, Apple Podcasts. Amazon Podcast is brand new. We're on there, and of course, my home base is on my Anchor platform, which is Anchor. Hold on, it's Anchor. It's Anchor.fm slash Cam.Cast. That is my. Uh, that's where my home base is, where I get all my data. I look at all my stuff. It's where I upload my my podcast at. Um, and, you know, I, I I really appreciate all the support I've been getting so far, guys. And I'm looking forward to doing the next uh, Marvel podcast and the series of Marvel podcasts that I've been doing. It's going to be Thor next. So we'll get the uh, the God of Lightning, the God of, God of Lightning, my ass, God of Thunder, and we'll get that going uh, probably next week or so. So as, as always, you guys, peace and love. Thanks. <music>